0: Well, good morning. Welcome. My name is Levi. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're visiting for the child dedication, hello. If you're visiting just because you're visiting, hello to you as well. If you have any questions, please come see Wes or I. Our contact info is in the the bulletin there. Call us. If I don't answer, it's probably because I'm with somebody, so leave me a message. If you don't leave a message, I'm not calling you back, okay? Leave me a message if you really need to chat. So, we are in Colossians. We've been here for, I don't know, like a month or so, maybe a touch over. If you remember when we started the series, we said that Colossians, the book of Colossians is kind of like an owner's manual for a car, except for it's for a church, okay? So it gives us some gauges to look at. We've talked a lot about the thankfulness gauge, making sure that we got a lot of thankfulness in life. It gives us some gauges to look at, gives us some maintenance schedules. Here's some things to keep an eye on. Here's some things that you need to make sure are, are running, you know, grease this, do that, all that. Okay, it's, it's kind of like that. And like an owner's manual, it also gives us a specification page. Now, how many of you have ever changed your oil or attempted to change your oil? Come on, show hands. How many? Okay, several of you. You'll know if you ever try and change your oil that your owner's manual is a very good friend. You flip in the back to 62-8 or whatever it is to the specifications and capacity page, right? And there is no gray area here. And that's a good thing. We're thankful for that. It's not like, well, just dump a little oil in and tell your gut, tell you feel like "Eh, that's good. No, it's specific. Here's how much this engine requires to be lubricated and running on all cylinders. We're very thankful for that. Now, transfer this to the church Some of us get a little upset about the black and white issues in the Bible. But they're there. There are specifications and capacities, just like an owner's manual. And Colossians has one of those for us today. It gets kind of listy. And it gets kind of listy about some sin issues. So we're going to get a little black and white this morning. But there's no condemnation in Jesus, okay? When we talk about sin, I'm going to hammer this home. We need to make sure that we understand the character of God, okay? So, we'll talk about that. I'm getting ahead of myself, but we'll get there. So, when we become a Christian, the Bible says that we are driven by our passions, okay? The engine of a human is our passions. And we are like a car without a steering wheel. We're dangerous. Dangerous to ourselves. We're dangerous to others. But when we become a Christian... God says, okay, I'm putting a steering wheel in this thing. His name is Jesus. Listen to him. Get guidance from him. Let him steer, guide, direct those passions. They're not necessarily evil, but we got to rein them in, and I'm going to give you some specifications on how to do that. Here's what it looks like for you to live your not your best life now in the sense that you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and you know, prosperous, but your best life now in the sense that you're going to have joy, you're going to have fulfillment, you're going to live in a way that's for your good and for the good of those around you. Okay, So that's what the specifications we're going to talk about this morning. Because we're talking about the specifics of sin and the old man... Like I said, it might be kind of a tough message, but it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be because in Jesus, there is no condemnation. There is healing for the broken. There is redemption. There is forgiveness. There's all of those things, okay? So in regards to the black and white issues, here's where we're going with this. I want to speak with you this morning about good and evil, good and evil, heaven and hell. I want to specifically talk with you about two citizens. Two citizens. These two citizens... Are, they're, they're, these, are, these are who they are. We have the citizen of heaven. So those who love Christ and are headed towards eternity and relationship with Christ. The Christian, citizens of heaven. And then the alternative, it's black and white here, is a citizen of hell. Okay, Those who are of the world, not in Jesus. Um, they haven't responded to the good news. They're outside of God's kingdom. Destined towards an eternity-separated From God. This is kind of stark, but hang with me. Hang with me. To help us understand what's going on here and make sure our hearts and our emotions are checked and in the, the right thought process, as we talk about these two citizens, the citizen of heaven, the citizen of hell, I want you to keep in mind the image of Lazarus. Okay? You know who Lazarus is? Lazarus was a friend of Jesus. Lazarus got sick. And he died. He died. And in John 11, you can write that down and read about it later if you want specifics, but he died. And in John 11, Jesus heads to Bethany to go see the grieving family. He goes to see and meet with Mary and Martha and talk with them. When he gets there, Mary and Martha and the whole family, they're grief-stricken. They're sad because Lazarus is dead. Their brother has just died. And so Jesus shows up, and his heart, the image and the picture that we get of Jesus is awesome. He shows up and he witnesses their anger and their grief. He sees the effects of sin and brokenness and death around him. And he, he realizes, or doesn't realize, but it hits him in a very pointed way. This is not how this is supposed to be. It was never supposed to be like this. It was never supposed to be like this. People were never supposed to die. Church, the wages of sin is always death. Sin always leads to death always leads to destruction and Jesus sees the effects of sin upon the people that he loves and the text says that a deep anger welled up within him he became deeply troubled at what the people no he wasn't like you sinful rebels I can't know he was angry not at the people but at sin and the effects of sin And so Jesus, he gets mad at the real enemy, at sin. He sees the effects of sin upon his beloved people. He gets mad. He gets angry and he says, where did you put Lazarus? Where is he? Where is he? And they take him to the grave. And Jesus gets to the grave and he weeps. He weeps, sobs uncontrollably with compassion and anger. Not at people, At sin, at what sin has done to the world that he's created. He has compassion on his people. He weeps for his friends and he's angry, angry at sin and death. This is God's heart, okay? This is God's heart towards sin. He didn't come here to condemn us. He weeps over the sin and brokenness in our life. It moves him to tears. And Jesus, he looks at the people, tears in his eyes. And he says, roll the stone away. And the people freak out. They freak out. Lord, it's been four days. And as only the King Jimmy version can say, Lord, it's been four days. He stinketh. All right? That's what it says. He stinketh. Don't roll it away. He stinks. He says, roll it away. Trust me. If you believe in me, if you trust me, you will see the glory of God. They roll the stone away, and Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus, come out. And the dead man comes out. He comes out. There's a problem. He's still wrapped up in his grave clothes. He's all wrapped up. He's in there, but you can't tell it's him. He's got all of this linen and stuff wrapped up around him. So he speaks to the people. He says, go unwrap him. Unwrap him. Get rid of his grave clothes. Help him. Give him a new uniform. Church, this is your story This is your story and my story when we come to Jesus. Before Jesus, we are dead men. We are in a grave. We are bound up, wrapped in grave clothes, bound up by sin, by brokenness, by destruction. We are powerless. We are hopeless. We are citizens of hell, destined for eternity, separated from God. But Jesus looks at us in our sinful state and he says, I can't handle that. He weeps. He says, no way. And he leaves heaven and he comes down. He becomes like one of us. And on the cross, he speaks from the cross and he says, Levi, John, Mark, Casey, Pam, Lazarus, come out, be made alive, be recreated, come out, be raised to new life. And you can stay dead. You can stay in the grave if you want, but you have the choice now to live a new life, to come out of the grave, to come out of the grave and begin the process of shedding your dead man's clothes. The old man is dead. The new man is raised to new life in Jesus Christ. And so when we respond to Christ, to the gift of new life, he says, come out. When we respond in faith, we come out. Jesus says, okay, unwrap him. Unwrap her. Take off her grave clothes. Give her the new uniform that is rightful for a citizen of heaven. And this church is what Colossians 3 is all about. Exchanging our dead man's clothing for the new uniform of heaven. Let's read about it together. Colossians 3, 1 through 17. I do need to work out, Wes. I know, I gotta, I plugged my, my uh, treadmill in and it, it doesn't work. I bought it a year ago and haven't used it. We plugged it in the other night because, you know, it's been a year, we should use it. It's New Year's Eve and it doesn't work, but I need to get on it. Let's read this. Get back to the text. Okay. Enough about my, my lack of fitness. Colossians 3, 1 through 17. Since then, Whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such of these things. Anger, rage, malice, slander, As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with with each other and forgive one another if you have a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. And over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity." do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Okay. We're going we're gonna to go back through this text this morning, and we're going to look at the commands that Jesus gives us. He gives us several, and the reasons why we should follow them. And then we're going to look at how we go about living out these commands. Okay? So we'll look at the what's and the why's, the commands and reasons, and then the how. So firstly, one of the first commands that he gives us, we find in verses 1 and 2. And you'll see, the, I've highlighted things in the text in yellow. So yellow is kind of like, think the golden rule, okay? Commands that Jesus gives us. So he says this first. He says, if you're in Christ, if you've been raised to new life, set your hearts on things above. So... Your passions. Your heart is representative of your passion. It's your, your feelings, your emotions. Set your emotions. Set your passions. Let them be guided by Jesus. He's your steering wheel now, okay? He guides all of your emotions, all of your feelings. How you should think, verse 2. Set your minds on things above. The mind is where our thoughts and our attitudes come out of. Let Jesus shape the way we think. That's the what. Here's the why. Verses 1 through 4. Why? Okay, and these are in red. Think because of Jesus's shed blood. Why should I do this? Because of Jesus in the red. Why? Well, in verse 1, you've been raised to new life. You're not dead anymore. You've been made alive in Christ. You have a new citizenship. You've been You've been put through the immigration process. Christ has paid the price, paid the penalty. You've walked through the narrow gate. You've been made a part of the kingdom. So now we're supposed to think like someone who lives in the kingdom. Also, you're under a new king. Verse 1b Jesus is at the right hand of God, ruling and reigning. He's the king. Okay? Trump isn't the king. Obama's not the king. No world leader is the king. The dollar isn't king. Your career isn't king. You're not king. Jesus is king. say, why does that matter? Well, because Jesus is coming back. And that's the third one. Jesus is coming back. Verse four, when he comes, he's your life. When he comes back, you'll appear with him in glory. He's coming back to be king. He is king and he will be king for eternity. You want to get on his team now. You want to get on his team now because when he comes back later, it's too late. It's too late. So live, live as a citizen of the king because you are a citizen within the kingdom. He's coming back and he's king, okay? That's the first command. Think with your hearts, with your mind, like a new citizen in the king because that's your identity now. You're not a dead man anymore. You're not destined for hell any longer. You've been made alive in Jesus. Live like it. And the second what that we find is in verse 5. Verse 5 says, Put to death. Put to death dead men's desires. God's words here are stark and severe. He says that the Christian, the citizen of heaven, they should not allow sin to breathe. Instead, they should strangle it, suffocate it, choke it out. Church, is this your attitude towards sin? Levi, is this your attitude towards sin? Choke it out, starve it, kill it. God says his citizens, Christians, should take radical, severe, Jesus-freaky action to be rid of (laughs) sin. Put it to death, starve it for oxygen, kill it. Ephesians 5.3, Paul says this. He says that there should be not even a hint of these things among the Christian, among a citizen of heaven. Now, before we go into the list, there are some folks who will get bent out of shape here, and they might start to roll, okay, here we go. Pastor's going to go all Puritan on us. Here comes the hellfire and brimstone, right? Here comes the list. Repent or burn. No, no, no. You could hear it like that if you want But church, to hear it like that is to miss the character and the heart of God. The other night, Clark said, Dad, I want to roast some marshmallows. He's three. All right, I want to roast some marshmallows. It's freezing and snowing outside. I was like, no, we're not doing that outside. He's like, I really want to. Okay, we'll do it over the stove. Turn the oven on. I let that thing get cherry red hot. I brought him over. I came over to the stove. I held his hand above it. I said, Clark, this thing, it's pretty. Look how cherry red it is. It's going to do a great job roasting our marshmallow. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. Now, was I telling that to my son because I hate him and I want to ruin his fun and spoil? No, I was telling him that because I love him and I didn't want him to ruin his fun or his evening. I wanted him to be able to enjoy a good malo, right? We all love a good s'more. So I, I set up some parameters. That's what God is doing when he talks about sin. That is the heart of God when he speaks about sin in the Bible. He's honest he says, yeah, it looks pretty. It's enticing. Honestly, it might even make you feel good for a moment. But don't touch it. Run from it. Because if you play with it, you're going to get burned. Church, sin is like a cute and cuddly little lion that grows up to a ferocious cat that will tear your face off. This is a little aside. I did this, and I, you didn't see it. But if you want to go Google cute animals that will tear your face off in Google. I googled that you will see a ton of little cuddly animals that you just you want to hug because they're so cute and cuddly And you'll find out as you read that if you hug them, they will murder you <laughs> Right, there's this little ant guy. google it. I don't have time to get into it But that's what sin is like That's what sin is like. It's pretty. It's enticing. It makes us feel good That's why we struggle with it, but it doesn't last It's like cuddling with a little tiger that grows up and it wants to murder you. It wants to eat you, right? It cannot be domesticated. Sin will always take you farther than you have ever intended to go. Every single time. And you don't want to go where it's taken you. So God says, I love you, child. Don't touch the stove. Flee from it. Don't let, don't let there even be a hint of these things among you. He says, anything having to do with sexual immorality impurity, lust, have nothing to do with it, if it stimulates illicit thoughts or desires in you, kill it, run from it. If someone might even be led to think that you're involved with such things, don't do those things. Live above reproach. If you're dating or little ones, as you think about getting married, if you're dating, commit to never be alone with your significant other say, that's legalistic. No, it's not. We get into bad situations. Commit to never be alone with your significant other. If you gotta be alone, commit to never being alone in the dark. If you gotta be alone in the dark, commit to never being alone in the dark, lying down. It's a tiger. Don't go where that's sending you. You don't wanna be in that compromising situation, right? Take radical thoughts to steer clear of these things. Don't go to that show. Don't go to that movie. Starve the opportunity for sin or even the suggestion of sin and evil desires. If tequila makes your clothes fall off, give up tequila. (laughs) Don't drink it anymore. If you're living with someone who isn't your spouse, get married or move out. Get married or move out. If the romance novel causes you to think about someone other than your husband or your wife, don't read it. Throw it away. Burn the thing. Get rid of it. Kill it. Anything involving sexual thoughts or actions outside the confines of biblical marriage. Be done with it. Run from it. It's a little cute cuddly lion that wants to murder you. Church, I realize that some may hear this wrong and call it legalism. Please go back and listen to last week's message. We are not about legalism. That's not what God is calling us for. This isn't a legalistic rule of God to limit our fun. God says this is for our protection. It's for our good. If it causes illicit sexual immorality, lust, impurity, evil desires, or even a hint of those things, kill it. Take radical, severe, Jesus-freaky action to be done with it. You're cuddling up with a lion that wants to murder you. And then he goes on to talk about greed. Greed is this it's anything that starts you down this thought process. I see it. I want it. I need it. I got to have it. I will do whatever it takes to get it. Get rid of, kill whatever it is that sets you down that thought process. I need it. I want it. I got to have it. I'll do whatever it takes. To get it. If that's Facebook, delete your Facebook account. If you can't go to the mall without buying everything you see, charging it to the car, stop going to the mall. Delete your Amazon. Don't drive through that car lot. Give up watching that show. Give up watching that sports team. Sacrifice that hobby. Now, church, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. There's nothing evil about any of this. Sex is not evil, it's a gift within the confines of biblical marriage, right? The human form, sexual de- desires, it's not evil. Facebook, not evil. Shopping, not evil. Hobbies, cars, Amazon, sports, entertainment, education. None of it is necessarily evil. The problem with all of it is idolatry. That's what he says. It's idolatry. Idolatry is when we give our complete devotion and focus to someone or something that is not Jesus Christ. That's when it becomes sin. When we look to someone or something, even a good thing, When we look to created things to do for us what only the creator God can do for us. So sex, great gift received within the confines of marriage. But taken outside of God's good design, it gets warped and we begin to worship it as this all-consuming thing that we'll devote our every waking hour to in an attempt to take from it which it could never give, which only God can give. Whenever we look to someone or something to gratify, satisfy, pacify our desires who is not God, we are cuddling up with a lion who wants to murder us. Idolatry looks like an unhealthy, life-consuming focus or infatuation with someone or something that is not God. And God says, put it to death. Flee from it. Radical, severe, Jesus' freaky action against it. Choke it out. Why? Verse 6. Why? Verse 6. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Again, not a popular topic, right? Not super popular. But I love you, and God loves you, and this is the truth. Cancer kills, and so does sin. Jesus is coming back, and if you're not with him, You are against him. If you're in Jesus, you're protected. You're made alive. You're a child of the king. You're a citizen of heaven. Apart from him, you are under God's wrath. You're a citizen of hell. Now, you say, I'm not under God's wrath right now, right? We're all fine. We're all whatever. You're right. Currently, right now, we are not under the wrath of God because Jesus said today is the day of salvation, I did not come to condemn the world, but to what? To save it. To save it. And so, we're not currently under the wrath of God, but for those who are not in Jesus, the Bible says that wrath is being stored up for them. Because when Jesus comes back in glory, he's not coming to save. He's coming to bring justice and condemnation and wrath for those who are in rebellion against him. You want to be on his team when he comes back. Praise God. He says to us from the cross, come out, Lazarus, come out. Be made new. Come into my kingdom. I've made a way for you. I've paid the price. Come out from under my wrath. You don't need to receive the penalty. I've paid it. Get on his team today. Put to death dead men's desires. Because the wrath of God is coming for those who persist in such things. The next command comes in verse 8. Rid yourself of dead men's deeds. Verse 5 was mostly concerned with desires of our flesh and the heart. Paul now turns his attention to what we do, our deeds. He says, We're to rid ourselves of acting sinfully in anger of boiling over in uncontrollable rage, of plotting evil things with malice. That's ill will in our hearts. We're to keep ourselves from slander. That's putting down other people's character, right? We should guard our tongues. For the Christian, locker room talk doesn't cut it. We're better than that. We're new creations. We're new creatures in Jesus. It's not fitting for a son or daughter of the king. We're to be done with lying. Don't make up things that aren't true, that didn't happen. Don't put your spin on a situation for your own reputation. Why? Because citizens of heaven don't behave like that anymore. That's not who we are. It's who we were. We're something new. In Christ, we're something new. And that's the why, verses 9 through 11. Because we're not who we used to be. Right? We've been recreated. So We need to cooperate with Jesus to live like who we will one day perfectly be in heaven. Soldiers don't live like civilians, right? They don't. Mothers don't live like childless college girls. Citizens of heaven don't live like citizens of hell. In Christ, you are part of a new humanity. There's no prejudice, no Greek, no Jew. Everybody's united in Christ. You won't look down on each other because of how much you make or what kind of car you drive or what color of skin you have. We're all united in Christ. He's in all and through all and by all. He's it. We live and behave like those who we will be because that's who we are in Jesus. If you've come out of the grave, take off the grave clothes and put on what? What? Verses 12 through 14. Clothe yourselves with Jesus. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Clothe yourself with peace. Romans 12, Hebrews 12. Pursue peace. in as much as you can, pursue peace with all men, with your family members, with your friends, with your coworkers, with your enemies. Pursue peace. Pursue reconciliation. Why? Because Jesus has pursued peace with you. He's pursued peace with you. Put on Christ. Live like Christ because he died for you. He loves you. He forgave you. Verses 13 through 15. Right? He's done all of this for us, he's made peace with us. If you've come out of the grave like Lazarus by faith, you are a new citizen of heaven. You were dead, now you're alive you still got grave clothes on. Paul says, take it off. It's time to take them off. Clothe yourselves in the uniform of heaven. But how? But how? Verses 16 and 17, and this is orange, fire, Holy Spirit, kind that's the color behind that. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. How do we do this? Let the message of Christ, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, dwell in you richly. You say, how do we do that? Well, verses one and two. Set your minds on things above. Set your heart on things above. The world says look inward for the answers. Jesus says, don't look inward. That's garbage. Look to me. Look to me. I'm your steering wheel. Let me guide you. Think about who I am, what I've done for you. Seek to empty yourself of yourself. Seek to die to yourself and be filled with me. Set your sail up to catch my spirit. Seek to keep on being filled by Jesus and his word. And say it another way, binge on Jesus. Don't binge on Netflix, don't binge on the news, don't binge on the new age, don't binge on anyone or anything other than Jesus. Be full of Jesus. Study Jesus, love Jesus, talk about Jesus. You see, that's kind of catchy, but what does that look like? Well, how do I position myself to be filled? How do I put up my sail to get the Holy Spirit to go on being filled? How do I binge on Jesus? How do I let the message of Christ dwell in my heart richly? He goes on. He says, firstly, teach and admonish one another by the wisdom of God. Church, if you're a citizen of Christ, if you've accepted Jesus, you're trying to live like Jesus. I know you're not perfect. I'm not perfect either. That's why Christ died, okay? We're not perfectionists here. We love Jesus, and He He covers over a multitude of sin. But if you're in Jesus, you are being made new, and you have something to say. You have something to teach. You have something to say, something to teach, something to admonish. Someone here needs to hear from you. That means when you go to church, don't come just to receive and to be refilled. Come to give. Get with Jesus during the week so you're full. Lord, who do you want me to speak to this week? What kind word, what encouraging word, what, what maybe hard word does one of my brothers at our church need to hear? Come to give, teach, and admonish one another in Christ, not by your wisdom, but by the Holy Spirit within you, guided by the Holy Spirit. If you're in Jesus, we need your input. Teach and admonish, step out in faith. I don't know why I need to tell you this, but I feel like the Spirit wants me to. Speak it in love, in gentleness, Teach and admonish. That's how you dwell in Christ richly. How else? Sing praise. Some of you guys in here, you don't like worship. And I get it. Singing for the dude is whatever, right? We hear, I hear everybody singing. And you ladies, you sound very nice, okay? And the guys, that's okay. But the Bible says make a joyful noise. doesn't matter if you're a good singer. If you just want to kind of mumble on your breath to start, that's fine. Make a joyful noise. We intentionally choose songs that put truth to your lips right? Think about the words. They are inspired by scripture. Every song we sing goes through a thought process. Sing them. The Bible says, if you want to dwell on Christ richly, if you want to be built up, sing psalms and hymns. Corporate worship is important. Participate in it. Participate in it. I'm not saying you got to wave your hands. If you want to, more power to you. If you want to keep your hands in your pocket and sing quietly, that's fine. Honestly, if you don't even want to sing, you just want to read the words and pray about it, that's fine. But participate, because it does something in you that you and I need from the Spirit of Jesus. Sing praise. Sing praise with one another. How do we dwell? Let the peace of Christ and and the message of Christ dwell in our hearts. Well, we teach and admonish, we sing praise and then we live to build Jesus' reputation over our own. We live for an audience of one. Ask yourself rev- regularly, how does this action, this thought, this behavior reflect on Christ? Right? Does it bring him glory and honor, or does it bring him shame and dishonor? And invite the Spirit to help you live in a way that builds his reputation, that makes him famous in a good way around, among the world. Ask the Spirit to help you live for His reputation over your own. And then lastly, here's the thankfulness gauge again. Give thanks. Give thanks. We have a lot to be thankful for in Jesus. Be intentional to remember and celebrate all of those things daily. Daily. The man can come up, and and I'll wrap this thing up. Church, we don't do any of this if we're dead. Okay? If you're still in the grave, disregard everything that I said and respond to Jesus' call. Come out. You can't take off the burial clothes unless you're out of the grave. You need Jesus first. So we can't do any of this if we're dead. But once we've come out of the grave, we've responded to Jesus in faith, Jesus had made it possible for all of us to experience new life. If you've responded to his call, you can and you must, empowered by the Spirit, begin to take off the grave clothes. Start the daily process of dressing in the uniform of heaven because that's who you are and it's who you will one day perfectly be. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us to not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but transform us by the renewing of our minds for our enjoyment of this life and the one to come and for your glory. We love you, Lord. Help us love you more. We pray this in your name.